G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. Today I've got a uh, special episode lined up for you guys. Um, I've got Jody Crane from Deer Diary Podcast. How are you going, mate? Not too bad at all, Zach. Not too bad. That's good. So we'll jump straight into it. Where are you from? Uh, people uh, realise that you've got an accent straight up. <laughs> yeah, I would. yeah, I'd say. Well, I'm definitely not from around these parts, anyway. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm Irish. I'm from Ireland. I'm from a place called Kilkenny in the southeast of the country. That's where I'm from. So, um, came over here uh, last May, and uh, I'm here now, living and working here. So, yeah, loving it so far. So good. And where's here for you? at the moment here is wa perth wa not the most hunter friendly state i have <laughs> come across but sure look we'll get there in the end like <laughs> yeah she's uh she's not a hunter friendly or a firearms friendly state in the last um 12 to 24 months nah, 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 nah. <laughs> how are you finding western australia compared to ireland she's uh she'll be a bit warmer eh Oh man, what was it? It was like 42 and a half degrees there a couple of days ago. I literally, I genuinely thought I was going to die, to be honest. <laughs> I was literally working there. I So I'm a, a ceiling and wall liner. I'm a flusher as well. And so I was flushing a wall that the guys had already built. And I was like doing work close to the floor. And uh, sweat was beading off and dripping <laughs> off my forehead onto the ground. And I could see it evaporate on the concrete slab in front of me. So I was like, this is absolutely insane. And on, only for the fact that the contractors brought in some ice lollies and gave them to us and took a 15-minute break, I probably <laughs> wouldn't be here talking to you, to be honest. Well, we got uh, got something mutual there. I actually um, deliver plasterboard and sealing materials and all of that. So uh, I'm the crazy fucker that has to cart all that shit inside for you. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like seeing you coming with that stuff either, like, to be honest. No one Just does. The more stuff that you bring. Oh, God. Look, <laughs> what it is. Keeps the, keeps the wolves away from the door anyway. That's it. That's it. So we'll discuss what you, you do for work. How did you get into hunting and fishing? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I suppose my first, my first experience like uh, hunting was, I wouldn't even call it hunting. So my grandparents, they used to have like um, a little little farmstead at the back of their house back in um, Wexford. And they always used to keep chickens in a chicken coop. But what used to happen was, was the rats used to come in and like either kill the little chicks or like take all the uh, the eggs. So they always had a shotgun in the house. Granddad always had a shotgun in the house. Um. They, they used to actually use that shotgun to uh, hunt, like, literally, like, uh, for food, like, uh, to keep the family fed. And 
even even like we're talking about back in the 70s or 80s, there was actually a bounty of 25 old Irish pounds um, for a fox um, fox pelt. So that also brought kind of income into the, the, the family family home. So they always used to keep a shotgun like for that reason. So I remember one afternoon I just went out to check for some eggs and I seen like a rat making its way towards the um towards the chicken coop. So I ran in and I I shouted at my dad, Dad, there's a rat going into the chicken chickens or whatever. So he got the shotgun. And they had little small I don't know if you have these over here, but these small like little rectangular bales, they're probably 1.2 meters by 60 by 60. They're yeah. really small, like <clears throat> really small ones. So they were all lying down on the on the ground, and we actually like zigzagged our way through them, crawling on the ground. And like as a six or seven year old, like you're like, this is <laughs> this is brilliant. Like, so we eventually got into position, and I seen that it was an old single action, sorry, an old uh, uh, hammer action single barrel shotgun. I'd say the barrel on it was probably 38 inches, to be honest. It was massive. And uh, oh, he, he completely obliterated uh, the um, the rat. So from literally from that, that day on, uh, I was just kind of hooked. So any time I went down, we visited the grandparents, used to go off with my uncles. And then we didn't have a shotgun or a, a, a rifle in the house for another maybe seven years after that. So I would have been, or probably less, maybe five years after that. So uh, dad's friends from Wexford used to come up to us, like shooting pheasants or whatever. And like, I was like, you know, 12 or whatever. And I used to like, I I never like shot anything for years. So I had to kind of do my, in inverted commas, like apprenticeship for him, like learning all the safety, learning all stuff like that. And then eventually, when I was fourteen, I got my own shotgun and literally just just took off from there. Like, so it's it's I'm literally doing it. I'm literally doing it thirty years. That's awesome, man. That's so good. Yeah. Um. So what's yeah. what's like the um intro into getting into hunting? Do you have a hunting license to hunt everything, or is it just like a deer stalking permit? Um. No. And what, no. What species I, do you have over there? So. As regards to licenses, so you can, for a shotgun, you either have a vermin license, which covers like just vermin alone. So we're talking, um, you know, crows, magpies, they're not magpies like that you have over here. It's a different species of magpie. Um, All the vermin, so rabbits, foxes, certain birds, um, that's on your vermin license. And then this is for a shotgun now. And then you have a game license which covers like, you know, mallard, teal, uh, waterfowl, um, pheasants, woodcock, snipe, all that stuff. And then for your deer, it's another separate license as well. And you, you have to apply for them. Um, you have to apply for them all separately. Like the deer permit is actually free in Ireland, but the rifle license isn't. And you can't have one without the other. Yeah. It's a bit backwards, to be honest, because 
in order to shoot deer, you have to have permission um, from a landowner. And then in order to have the rifle license, you need that permit. <laughs> so it's, it's just it's just all messed up, to be honest. That yeah, yeah. But it, it's all good. Like it's 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 all good. Um, yeah, I've held a, a deer permit since I was eighteen. 18 years of age, so yeah. Is there a minimum age to get a deer permit? Um, I think it's I think it's 18. I mean, what, don't don't quote me on it now. I think it is 18. It could be 16. Um, but that's just again, again, we're talking about the 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 license, the firearms license here now. It all it really all depends on how well you get on with the. Uh, with the police back home. Yeah. Like if, if you, um, it's very, very strict. And I, I totally agree with that. It's very, very strict. Like if you have any, uh, criminal, like if you have anything on you, like even a speeding ticket, anything like that, that can come up as a red flag. Like you're, I think we're screened something like four, three or four times in order to have the license. You need to have a, in order to have the, the center for your firearm and the legal requirement um, back home is uh, 22,250. I think it could be changed, excuse me, now to a 243. But if you have any, if you have any dirt on you, you may forget about it because you're not going to get, like you can't, even if, even if you had an argument with somebody on a night out, let's say you're drinking and let's say like you get into like a, an argument or whatever and something happens like that's it like forget about it so yeah. in that sense like it's poor enough but like i understand where they're coming from like you it definitely know, can be like that be, here that's for sure yeah like yeah you have to be mentally sane to possess a, a firearm like yeah. like you know and and touch wood nothing nothing major has happened either in back home and indeed here like so yeah, we're 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 kind of good in that sense, like. But like anybody who has, like, you, you should you should agree with it, like that. You, you need there needs to be like a, a a thorough screening process in order to obtain a firearm. That's just how it is, and I think anybody anybody who worked or assault will totally agree with that, like. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree. There should be some type of screening, but the restrictions after your uh you get licensed are the, the major concern here in Australia as Western yeah. Australia is currently seeing. There's been like 200-something yeah. calibres and styles of different firearms yeah. restricted to I people. Was re- I, I was actually looking into that because the first, when I found out about that first, it was actually doing a, a job just up in Leaderville up here. And one of the guys that I was working with is into hunting as well. like, And... Uh, so I have a thirty odd six at home that I be that I want hopefully uh, get it transferred over here when I when I can. So I'll, I'll probably need PR to to get that. I understand that that's just how it is. But um, he was going on about the calibers that were taken off. Now the argument I'd like to kind of put up against any politician there. Okay, so yeah, we're talking about like big calibers. We're talking about like three three eights or whatever. Like there is like 
there is a need for them. Like if you're a long range shooter, a three three eight is, you know, it's an ideal caliber to be shooting at That's long it. distance as well. But like if, at the end of the day, even like a, a 30 odd six, a two two three or a three three eight, they're both lethal. They're both lethal, like yeah. you know. And they're one they were w- worried about like, oh, if it falls into the wrong hands. You need to be extremely competent to shoot. 800 meters. I would give, I would, I'd literally stand 1500 meters away from a politician and I'd say, shoot me at 1500 <laughs> meters. Try and shoot me because I guarantee you he won't. Yeah. You know, you need to learn, like anybody, anybody who possesses them knows how to use and anybody who possesses them, like, are like, you know, they're like, they're like me and you. There's like, legit hunters like her target shooters and so even legit so hunters you you put majority of someone that hunts all the time something over 500 meters they're not going to make that shot you know no. unless they're practicing no. long distance shooting yeah that's exactly it yeah that's it's, exactly it and also the restriction here and i think it's australia wide as well is your um you can't use uh, suppressors, moderators. Oh, dude, dude, don't get me started on this one. Uh, I went to New Zealand last year and a few years ago, yeah. and using suppressors over there, it's just a godsend. Like, you know, the animals aren't freaked out as much as when you you shoot without without a um, suppressor. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's um, recommended, or is it the law to use a suppressor on centerfires over there? It's not law. You need, you do need, so like, you do need, uh, in on our little, on our license, you have, when you're applying for that license for that firearm, you're given box to tick whether you'll use a scope, which everybody will, <laughs> and uh, a moderator, and you just tick that. And on your license, you get an S. Okay. And because you have that S on your license, you can like literally buy any like uh, silencer that you want. But it's it is like it is it should be it should be obvious to even outside people that are not into hunting how important it is to protect your hearing. Yeah, the the thing here in Australia is so. Um, I've done some work and I'm an um, admin with Firearm Owners United. They were a non-for-profit, but they've recently um, got out of that and just running it as a page at the moment just due to the fact of politics in Australia fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. But um, they did a campaign every September called Suppressor September, um, you know, yeah. trying to get people to write into their politicians, their local MPs, their local representatives, um, trying to get suppressors legalized for shooters and the one thing that we kept seeing back no matter what state is the people the politicians the police were worried that that criminals would get their hands on these suppressors and then take rifle suppressors and put them on handguns which is just (laughs) uh um again like It's, it's a, it's the people who make those calls, they don't want to know about it. They don't want to know about it. They don't want to be educated at all. They just want to, they just want to, they just want the ability to keep their seat in parliament and that's it. Yeah. 
I don't know how many uh, licensed uh, hunters, target shooters, or pistol shooters there are over here. But I remember a couple of years ago back home, there was something came into legislation. I think it was to remove the wood pigeon from the license. Now, that pigeons in the summer flock in their thousands, tens of thousands, and the amount of damage that they cause to crops is absolutely considerable. So all of us got together. I think there was, I think there was a couple of hundred thousand signatures signed on this. And because of that, we managed to like, like not like retract that decision to make. You should do the same. We'll like tr- at the end of the day, all of all of you guys, like you have a vote, you have a voice. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of you there is. Can you can imagine how many votes it, that one person could get in Parliament yep. if they stood up for uh, hunters and uh, target shooters alike? And that's that's what we've been trying to do with this whole um, deer eradication subject, this whole suppressor subject this whole caliber subject, um, you know, we've got every state's got something going on. Um, the one thing is, is that, you know, the state politicians don't care about any people outside of the other state. So if you get a, get a, um, petition going and it's got, you know, a thousand people from South Australia, but 4,000 people from every other state, they don't care. They'll only care about that thousand people. Um, we're seeing the same thing here with um, the proposed bow hunting ban in South Australia. They don't care about anyone that's outside of South Australia. The um, the Australian Bow Hunting Association. They sent their their um, their whatever you want to call it their their club president over to South Australia to have a meeting with the lady who's proposing it and pushing it and she wouldn't even let them speak because they weren't South Australian residents they just had to sit in the corner quietly um, from what I've been told so it's it's such a hard thing to do and because everyone has a different opinion on what should be legal what shouldn't be legal some people like, oh, you know, all you need is a single shot twenty two, and that's all you ever need. Where some people like, you know, I want a, I want a three three eight Lapeur. You know, it's, yeah. I want suppressors. I want semi automatics. I want four automatics. You know, it's everyone's got a different opinion on what you should have and what you shouldn't have, and the amount of internal fighting that goes on in the Australian shooting and hunting world it is just ridiculous and pathetic so it's it's very hard to get people on the same note and then everyone's very vocal on social media about it but as soon as you ask them to send in a letter even if it's a pre-filled out letter that they just have to sign they won't do it you know the the, keyboard warriors like (laughs) keyboard warriors that's it oh it's a it's a tricky tricky subject man yeah um look (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully, um, these people that are calling the shots in every state will hopefully they'll just fuck off someday, and uh, maybe somebody with a bit of common sense because it is common sense at the end of the day, you know. Like, or we could actually talk about politics 
all day. Yeah. Like you're you're basically banging your head off the wall <laughs> when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, and I fucking you know, hate have- politics, man. But the last couple of years I've really had to foot put more of a focus on it because, you know, they're trying to take bow hunting. That's my prime prime way of hunting, you know. I got thirteen bows in this room yeah. behind me. Um, you know, I <laughs> <laughs> like if they take that away, I'm going to be depressed as fuck. So I'm going to have to buy more guns, but then they're limiting the amount of guns that you can buy. And you know, how many, how many of the same caliber you can have, you know, they're saying like, you know, if you've got two 22s, why do you need to buy another 22? If you've got a 270, why do you need to buy a 3006? You know, you have to give reasonings why you're buying these extra calibers and similar calibers and stuff like that. Yeah, we get that we have that at home as well like um but i think the i think it's 15 guns you're allowed in your house i think any more than four and you have to get the house monitored by in a like a registered alarm system yeah here which in- is i totally understand like you know like yeah like four knocks what? <laughs> yeah, here in South Australia, I think it's 19 before you have to get security, like CCTV and stuff like that. Um, That's a lot of guns, man. That's a lot of guns. Like, Yeah, but you know, you know what it's like. Is Oh, I like yeah. that. I want to get that. And then you've got inherited yeah. guns. You know, if you've got family that shoot, you know, if somebody passes away and they've got 15 and then you've already got 10 and then, you yeah. know, stuff like that. Like, it's... The numbers shouldn't matter because you know, it's it's a non-issue, but you should be allowed to own them. Like you could buy as many cars as you want, you can buy as many, you know, you can buy as much alcohol as you want. No one's no one's counting counting that, you know. And you tell me which one's more dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's a it's a tricky tricky situation and just just subject in general. We'll move on to some happier notes. So we've spoken about how you got into hunting and fishing. Um, what type of gear are you running when you are in Ireland hunting deer and stuff? What Are you going out for just a morning hunt, an afternoon hunt, a full day hunt, overnighters? I have to say, okay, the, so the season starts the 1st of September back home. And my best buddy, Ben, who was on my who was on my podcast with me, the two of us are like, it's like Christmas Eve, where we have all our stuff ready, um, all the gear laid out, ready to go, rifles completely checked, totally zeroed, oiled and ready to go. And you can't go to sleep, like you just you can't go to sleep. <laughs> and like uh, it's it's the season is, is seasons are different back home. So September is coming into like our, our, our awesome, but it's, it's bright at like, I think it's half four. So we'd have to be like up at two o'clock, sometimes half two. So you, as soon as like you even kind of close your eyes, you're waking up and then you just text Ben, like, are you up? And he's <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, cool. Right. But anyway, so we tend Generally speaking, we tend to only go for a day. If we, like, we used to take, like, holidays during the rut in October, right? We used to take, like, a week off. and sure we'd be, like, camping out, like, for two or three nights or whatever. 
you know, it, it, Ireland is not as big a place as as Australia. And like generally speaking, you can like drive to your places or whatever and you can camp out and you know, you've permission from a farmer, so there's never going to be any issue of where you're going to be camping. But generally speaking, we only go for a day, maybe two days or whatever. Or sometimes it could be a, a morning stock or sometimes it could be an evening stock. Um, ben has two kids now, so he's restricted with time or whatever. Um, and now I'm over here now, so I won't be going with him <laughs> anytime soon. But um, yeah, we normally just go for a, a day or a morning stock or an evening stock. Gear-wise, um, gear I have been through a lot of rifles. Um, I sold a Blazer RA professional success there in 270 there a couple of years ago. I love that rifle. I don't know why I got rid of it. I think it was, I, I knew it was coming over here. I kind of like wanted to like downscale and just keep one. And it was, it was heavy. It, was, it is a heavy rifle, but it was a beautiful rifle. So Blazer RA professional success. With a house skin moderator on top, it was in 270. Uh, tier one bases, tier one rings on the blazer, uh, saddle, um, uh, quick release uh, mounts, um, size victory V8, 2.2, is it 2.8 or 2.5 to 20 by 56, ASV elevation and windage on the side. So it was, it was a fairly fucking advanced piece of kit. Now I'm shooting at Saco 85 Carbon Light in 30 odd 6 with a, a Jet C compact uh, moderator on top. It's a bit too heavy for my liking, but it's doing the job. Um, and I'm running a Swarovski Z6 I, um, I think it's a 1.8 to 15, or as a 2.8 to 15 by 44 so I kind of like I wanted to kind of reduce weight so that's why I went for the, the carbon fiber yeah. so that's the rifles um, binoculars <clears throat> Leica Geovid HDB 8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x8x
binocular wipes to make sure all your optics are clean or whatever. And um, yeah, clothes wise, I started using this uh, Falraven stuff. It's a Swedish Swedish brand. Absolutely bomb proof gear. Like yes, wait. I can't. I can't tell you. I can't tell you the amount of abuse that these get. It's ridiculous. They go through. Like they literally, they'll they will laugh. They will outlast anything. I used to use uh, Harkila. Um, are you familiar with Harkila? Yeah. No, no, I'm not. Harkila is a it's Scandinavian brand. And to be honest with you, it's overpriced. It's ridiculous money for what it is. And the hunting that we do, like we go through like pine pine trees, pine needles. And what happens is, and this goes for your Swazi stuff as well, the Swazi New Zealand stuff as well. Like they all have a membrane inside them, right? But when you're going through like thorns and tick brush and pine needles or whatever, whatever you're going through, what happens is, is the, uh, the thorns pierce the, they pierce the membrane. And sure, when the membrane is pierced, it's fucked. So like, what's yeah. the point in like spending like hundreds of euro? Like, so the pants, I'd say are 300 euro now. So that's 450 or maybe $500 or whatever for a pair of pants that are not going to last you like six months. No, no way. Fact that. So I went to the Falraven, Falraven stuff and haven't looked back. Um, yeah. And just, uh, uh, Paramovalese smock, just little small smock, just goes over you, and that's that's basically my gear. Um, so a you, knife, a really sharp knife. Are you guys running cam- camo over there, or are you running like greeny, like just greens, or no, no, it's all all kind of matte, kind of uh, matte, kind of color. Like deer are colorblind at the end of the day. Yeah, but like. <clears throat> the reason why people wear camouflage is it breaks it up. But if you use, <clears throat> excuse me, if you use like your uh, your your uh, field craft to get close to a deer, like you can, I was shooting in, to be honest, I was shooting in a high seat one year with a bright red, bright red waterproof jacket because it was in the winter. And like the deer, like literally walking under my feet. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just that like, solid. Like, like, Solid color yeah. they can't see is if as, as long, long as you're not wearing blues. Yeah, that's exactly it. They see in a different uh, spectrum of light to us, and blue, light blue is one of the colors that that uh, kind of give you away. But like, should you look back at look into the, the uh, American hunters and they're wearing those flannel t-shirts? Yeah, or shirts to check red and yeah, black the red check, and black like, yeah. lumberjack style. Mean? So you don't need to be spending ridiculous money on like proper camouflage gear when you can get away with something light and just a, a matte solid color, you know? Yeah, I, I 100% agree Agree with that. I just find that camo on that extra, like when you're getting closer, especially when you're bow hunting, it does help that, that break yeah. up. Um, when, you, when you're getting close, that long distance, it doesn't matter as much. Um, but you've also just if you're wearing that one solid color, you you do look like a solid blob moving through as well okay, yeah. as you can. So that's why you know we tend to um, go towards camo here. Um, plus, it looks better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I may uh, spend, uh, I may start saving for all this camouflage gear that I'm going to buy whenever <laughs> I get, whenever I get my boar, whatever. That's something that I'm really looking forward to, to delving into is bow hunting. To me, as somebody who has shot deer and like shot rifles since I was like my own, let's say legally from 15, <laughs> you take out dad's 22, but don't tell him that. Um, <laughs> but like, you always look at the likes of uh, Cam Haynes and Adam Greentree. I know he's a famous Australian bow hunter over here. You yep. look at Joe Rogan. You look at all those guys here. I think bow hunting is, to me, it's it's kind of the pinnacle because there's so many things that you have to take into account. You have to get close. You have to get very close. You have to use all your field craft. You have to use all your stalking ability. Then you have to execute that shot. You have to be... You have to be so dialed in with your equipment that you know that when you release that arrow, that arrow is going to hit exactly where you go. And even even like uh, anticipating, I, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but <clears throat> is it sometimes you aim lower on the animal because of the string, the yeah, string whacker, the string slap. The, um... Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. some species do it. Some some don't. Um, you know, it's just it depends. Also, their level of alert, alertness and depending, you know, how much they've been hunted, what they're used to. I think the North American animals tend to do it more so. The African animals, um, I haven't really found with the fallow deer they do it too much, but they can do it. It just depends where you are, how much they're hunted, um, how alert they are, um, and how noisy your bow is. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I'm I'm looking to looking forward to getting into it now and get practicing and hopefully um hopefully get a piece of property for myself to go off and hunt whatever's on it. Well there's it be pigs, goats or deer, I don't know. <laughs> camels donkeys um (laughs) wild cattle you know you know there's there's lots lot lots over that way to uh get into um you know there's there's a um guy who i've i want to get on the podcast soon i've been saying it for a long time um jason from hunt catch cook he's a western australian hunter and man he gets onto some some game and man the food that he cooks is just incredible um, yeah. it's definitely a great page to check out. Um, Kate Fentanyl, she's, uh, from, she's originally from South Australia. She lives over in Western Australia these days. Um, she's not so much into the hunting, but more the firearm side of things. Um, but yeah, she's, she was on the podcast, uh, mid last year talking about how crappy Western Australia is, is getting. And she's absolutely great with her firearms knowledge and just, uh, political knowledge is just incredible as well um so there's yeah plenty uh the the um fox call that i use he's he's over down under uh, down under predator calls um he's over there and he does a lot of contract shooting for kangaroos and stuff like that as well so that's another path people get down down into and it's all about permissions mm. and stuff like that getting yeah. your, your your processing license so you can process yeah. the kangaroos and take them to the processes and all the tags and stuff like that um i'm not exactly sure what western australia's system is but that's they have a system for it 
which is another great way to get into it. But, you know, kangaroos are pretty much just, you know, <laughs> they're pretty stupid to shoot. They just stand there yeah. under the light, deer and headlights type thing. Yeah, screw it out, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's there's lots of different different game for you to get onto over there. And then you've also got some of the best fishing in Australia over there, which um, I've seen you, you getting out and exploring, doing some diving. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, <clears throat> I am not going to lie to you. I am terrified getting into that water, to be honest. <laughs> like, like because we're com- I'm coming from a place where there's z- like zero predators. There is no sharks. There is nothing in the bush that can kill you. Then you come over here and it's like every single creature in Australia wants to kill you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you have grey whites, you have tigers, you have bull sharks, you have all that stuff. But look, I need to kind of like grow a pair and get amongst it like, it's like everything like you have to face your fear eventually and you know it's just a matter of like picking up that courage and just going out and just facing or whatever and i suppose like once you get i know i know myself even like studying animal animal behavior like once you kind of get accustomed to their behavior you can see oh they're a bit feisty get out of the water do you yeah, know what I mean? Well, Western Australia is shark Australia. soup. <laughs> it's shark thank, soup over there. Thank yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. the, the spearfishers over there do get, get onto some amazing fish, just the, you know, yeah. land-based fishing, everything. How What was uh, fishing yeah. like in Ireland? Did you get into that much? I know you had a few fishermen on your later episodes and talked yes. about competition so, fishing. Yeah, um, so fishing... For me, uh, I was brought up fishing by my dad. He used to bring out uh, me and my brother down to the the river, um, the River Nores, the main river that flows through Kilkenny. <clears throat> and I remember, like, we used to catch, like, r- nice, like, brown trout, wild brown trout, all wild brown trout. We used to catch eels. And then throughout the years, as things got worse, because... The state of the fisheries back home is not on short of scandalous. We've all this runoff that is coming from the uh, the uh, the the uh, agricultural land. That's going into this into the river. That's polluting the rivers. We also have uh, these long nets. People, you can't get a license anymore for a long net or a drift net on the estuaries. It's handed down to generation, like father to son and grandfather to to father and son, all that stuff. But they're also taking all the the salmon stocks. Now, I'm not going to say that it's all their fault. And then we also have, because we're a member of the EU, we can, all the the, uh, mega trawlers from Portugal, France, Spain, even even ships from Japan like, are coming into our waters and they're just taking everything. I'll give you an example of what's how how messed up it is, right? We have a, a healthy population of massive bluefin tuna, right? But because we're such a small country and the EU and all their like all their uh, intelligence, uh, they won't give us a quota for it. But the bigger countries can. 
even as even if we want to go fishing for them, we're not allowed to go fishing and catch and release. Yeah, that's crazy. Even if we yeah, even if we wanted to go spear fishing, not not a hope. You're not not allowed. So, my experience of fishing has been a slippery slope for the past twenty five years, and it hasn't got any better. The only the only uh, rivers that are doing very well are like private rivers that like literally are managed correctly within an inch of their life. But they there there's no like major intensive agriculture that's going around them. There's no, zero drift netting that's happened at the estuaries. You know, you'll catch your fish there, but salmon stocks, forget about it. Is that mainly salmon. like trout fishing over there then with, with those well-managed rivers? Yeah, it's uh, mainly mainly trout and ma- mainly salmon. Yeah, that's 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 mainly it. Um, but salmon, salmon is going to be on the critically endangered list. Uh, I would say within the next year or two. Crazy, I can, I can see it. Yeah, it's that's it's nuts. it's poor. It's poor. It's a poor state of affairs because uh, I looking back on the old record. Sometimes you might get a, sometimes you might just get a, a picture that would go up in one of the uh, Facebook groups back home. And like you, you were catching, they were catching like 38, 48 pound. I don't know what that's in kilos. Maybe it's 25 or 30 kilos salmon in the North that's where nice. it goes, man, huge. These are huge fish, like huge fish. And over the years, overfishing and pollution just fucked it up. That's what I like about us. Well, I can't speak for <laughs> for other states, but Western Australia, like abalone fishing was meant to happen uh, yesterday. Uh, it was cancelled because of the high swell. It was like a 2.5 or 3 meter swell. And he got a text message from Deeper, whatever that is, the Department of Fisher, uh, whatever it is. I can't think of the, the name of it, but you have to pay for the license. And even to get a text message like that saying, because of the danger of risk of life, uh, we've decided to cancel the uh, abalone season on the the third. Was it the third yesterday? Yeah. And like, to me, that's totally worth spending your $50 because it's at least you know it's going to a resource that's actually doing its job. Yeah, I think the Western Australia one's a tricky one as well at the moment. I think that they're um, promoting more the commercial side of fishing than the recreational side of fishing. I might be wrong, but from what yeah, what I've seen and people talking about, you know, they're putting seasons in when not needed. They're um, limiting the the recreational side of things and yeah, focusing on the commercial side, which we see all around Australia. Um, okay. Do you know what the red snapper is? Have you seen them? Yeah, it's yep. the fish, isn't it, Jeff? Yeah. Beautiful tasting fish. Yeah, so we we used to have a real good population here. Um, you know, it was every recreational fisherman would go out and target red snapper, um, and they've put a ban on them. They gave the commercial guys not so much a ban but a quota, but then recreational fishermen can't, can't take them. Um, in half of the state, I think they could take one or two for recreational fishing, but commercial fishing was still open. They were still allowed to, you know, net and fish all of the breeding areas and stuff like that, which is a shame when they... That makes, 
no sense. Yeah. That makes no sense whatsoever. So the recreational fisher will only take enough for his table, whereas the commercial fisher is wanting to make money off of it. So, like, they're trying to, you, like, it's it's completely backwards. Uh, it, a lot, a lot of uh, Australian um, management is completely backwards when it comes to that stuff. In my own opinion, you know, yeah, you know, a friend of the podcast, Dan, he's a biologist. He tends to disagree with a lot of the stuff. Um, you know, he he knows the sciencey side of stuff, but when it comes to raw emotion that I have, and a, <laughs> there's fact and emotion, and a lot of my stuff is fueled by emotion, as a lot of us are. You know, why the commercial sector and not us? But it's because they're paying for it. They're you know, here in South Australia, we don't have a recreational fishing license, so we don't get a say. Really, you know, if if you're not paying to play, you don't you don't get a say where the commercial guys are pay, putting millions of dollars into the government pockets, and that's that's where that yeah. all goes to. So, you know, if 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 you you're not going to pay to play, then you you don't get a say, and then you don't don't get to whinge and bitch about it either. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, it's, uh... But you know, it's it seems that every country has their their own version of it. You know, it sounds like Ireland struggles with the um, f- fishing side of, side of it, the hunting side of it. What goes into the management side of things in Ireland when it comes to the deer hunting? Because it's a um, it's a it's not an invasive species. It's a it's a native species over there, for the no, most part. The, the deer are all three species of deer are. Um, are introduced. Okay. Uh, like guys will say, and I know I'm going to get fucking hate mail for <laughs> this, but um, people will say that the native red deer uh, in Killarney, uh, which is in County Kerry in the southwest of Ireland, are our native species. But in order to be a native species, there has to be remains dating back. I think it's six or eight thousand years so far we haven't found any any uh skeletal remains of red deer that date back that time so in our so in my opinion unless that's found to me it's an introduced species uh Sika deer were introduced uh by lord powers court uh into uh powers court estate in wicklow back in uh 1865 I think he brought in three hinds and two stags. And basically from those deer, all the Sika in Wicklow, all around Ireland, going down to Kerry, they were, adju- they were introduced from Powers Court in Wicklow down to Muckross Estate down in, in Killarney. Uh, I don't know what year that was. And they were also introduced up into the north of the country into Barons Court in Tyrone. And we also have fallow deer. Fallow deer were introduced by the Rome or by the Anglo-Saxons, or it could be the Romans or whatever. But that was a couple of hundred years ago. Anyway, I think that was the fifteenth, fifteenth or anyway, just a long time. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's crazy. Management-wise, there's never really, never really been management. Uh, of deer up until recently to be honest uh hunters were ma- basically the uh, main uh management um basically the main uh 
form of management for the population. But the problem is, and it's it is an emotive subject. People need to realize that, like all animals, regardless if they're uh, deer, brumbies, camels, dingoes, whatever the fuck, they all need to be managed correctly. Hundred percent. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, management boils down to the landowner's requirements. There's certain places back home, certain, uh, and I've been, I've been actually fairly, fairly blessed. Uh, to be honest, over the years of my my permissions that I have back home and still do, like Ben is now taking over the management of the ground now. Um, I've I've got I've I've got a lot of of ground to to manage the deer on, but some some farms want a complete eradication of the deer. So I'll give you a bit of science behind it. So in 2016, I really got into like deer management and deer in itself and I always have been I actually went to to Southampton in England South 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 England to uh, do a course on advanced deer management with uh Yellen Deer Services uh, Mike Allison is the company director there like so I I really like really kind of geeked out on this that's awesome and um he had said to me, basically, the first question that he asked, if a farmer comes, just like literally, I haven't even, haven't even, he's introduced himself. And then he sat down, we sat down in the class. There was a couple of us there that were doing it. And he said, number one question, if a landowner comes to you and says he wants all the deer shot, completely eradicated, what are you going to do? The majority of people say, oh, I'll only take a certain amount. And I said, you're going to shoot them all. And he put me on the spot. And he said, why? He says, because if you don't do that job correctly, he's going he's gonna to get someone else to do that job. Yep. So that ma- management of a species on land is completely dictated by the landowner's requirements. So if a landowner says he wants all them shot, you shoot. 100%. Yeah. That's it. There should be no questions asked about that. Yeah, we have the same thing here. You've got certain landowners that are happy to see them um, and allow you to take them so you can manage them, whether you, you're you managing for quote-unquote trophy animals or then if you're just doing pure pest control, you you go out there with a torch, you go out there with a spotlight and you do whatever you can to get rid of those deer for that farmer. Yeah, because yeah. like, like let's take, for instance, uh, so... I'll give you a bit of, bit of science behind it. So a fallow doe, she will consume seven kilos of wet matter a day. That's not including when she's carrying her young or when she has her young when she gives birth, to give birth in June back home or whatever. So she's obviously in more when she's getting more and more pregnant or whatever. Yeah. She also has to sustain the, the, her fawn when that fawn is born as well. But that's seven kilos a day. That works out, uh, I think, 1800 kilograms of wet matter a year that's nearly two ton man yeah, that's, that's one fallow deer so you can imagine you go into a field that in an evening time and you see all those fallow deer like it's not uncommon to see like herds i've seen herds of 70 or 80 fallow deer in one field and this field is only like 10 acres right that's a lot of deer that's... like and like you can imagine all that grass but you can't see the damage because the grass keeps growing con- continuously, like 
So you can you can imagine how much damage that they're doing and how much like income is being lost uh, by the landowner every year to the to the fallow deer. And like, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't like to shoot all the fallow deer <laughs> or all the deer in Australia. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't like to do that. Like, but you know, that's that's the internal struggle that I battle with, and I've spoken on this podcast many times with many different guests. Is for me, like I've always, I, I grew up shooting, you know, as my first, like my first memories are hunting and fishing with my grandfather. And that's like, you know, from, you know, using an air rifle to a 22, to a bow, to, you know, shooting goats with him, shooting, shooting ducks, shooting pigeons, um, and everything in between. And then getting into goat, uh, like goats with a bow when I was older and then deer hunting when I was 18, um, like I, I grew up, Steve Irwin was my idol. So growing up oh, with that yeah. conservation yeah, basis, yeah. you know, I was talking yeah. like you, you, you talk to my parents, my grandparents, I was telling people who Steve Irwin were before he was, he was popular, you know, and I, I loved conservation stuff, but I also love hunting. So without yeah. these animals on the land, I wouldn't be a hunter and I wouldn't have that passion for hunting and being outdoors. Yeah that internal struggle of conservation and wanting those animals on the landscape is something I battle with constantly. Um, and as a lot of hunters do, you know, I get rid of deer for farmers for pest control. I hunt because I love to hunt, but I also love the animal that I'm hunting as well. Like I'm not shooting them because I hate them. They're a beautiful animal, you know, they're a freaking fabulous eating animal. But it's also great just getting out there and watching them and watching their behaviour and just just animals being animals. So that's that's definitely an internal struggle. But yeah, hearing you say that they like a doe eats seven kilos of grass in that a day is just insane. Like especially when you think about it, because we got six species of deer here. Um, we've got samba deer. We've got fallow, reds, rooster, um, chittle or access and hog deer. Um, so, mm. you know, you think about the, those two, the two bigger species, the samba and the reds, the amount of, um, food that'd be eating a day to sustain would be just incredible. Oh, it's, it's, uh, like, I have books that I actually books. Do I have them with me or do I have them packed up at home on like all on like different species of like seek a deer, uh, fallow deer. And then I have the advanced deer management book that I was given to study when I back in 2016. I like you, you genuinely do forget the amount, the vast majority of it. Like, but that was one thing that kind of like stuck with me was just the amount of, amount of uh, wet matter that they consume like and yeah like we at the end of the day we we love the deer we we like may i i told you before this i haven't shot a deer since last february to be honest <laughs> i know if i'm going back home in october uh to shoot with ben i know like even if it's a small little cricket or a little spiker steps out in front of me i'm going to be rattling like a fucking leaf in a tree like you know what I'm <laughs> Just uh, yeah, I'm just yeah. We need you know, to get you down to. Like, we need to get you down to South Australia or um come over to Victoria and um hunt some samba deer in on the public land over there, mate. Yeah, I'll 
Mate, I'm telling you, I'll be there. To be honest, you give me a date and I'll book that ticket. I'll do a do a September trip, so we'll have to um chat and see if we can get you get you over there oh, for that. Yeah, I think sep- September is when the majority of the samba deer are running over here. But samba deer are a weird one over here. So you can have stags that are freshly cast, halfway through grown velvet, and completely hard antler all at the same time, all year. So you could you could go out at the start of the year and shoot a fully fully hard hard antler stag, but you might see like three half-grown stags, you know, a freshly cast stag, and it's like that all year round. Like, I think I was reading up about them, obviously, um, but they're <laughs> like, uh, three. is it 340 kilos they get up to? Like, yeah, they they're, get big. they're the third largest deer species in the world under elk and moose. I'm pretty sure. It's like a bus coming over <laughs> over over the forest actually. Like, but they're quiet, oh. man. They're they're dead quiet. You can't hear them coming. They they re- they refer to them as brown ghosts because they're just insane. Like the the way deer have fit into the Australian landscape is just insane. Like you you try and you try and pick out a a fallow doe standing in the australian scrub it's just they blend in so well in the in the natural environment especially here in adelaide in this in in the adelaide hills here Uh, they just yeah they just do so well mate i'm like i'm frothing at the thought of it now to be honest (laughs) i mean like i'm even thinking like where i'm going to put them on my wall because he's probably take up half the wall to be honest (laughs) you know a big samba stag you know you're talking you know i think like a trophy stag people are aiming at you know 30 inches wide 30 inches long by 30 inches wide so they're they can be a big animal and then you know you add goats on top of that you know i think like Trophy class goat is 30 inches plus 100 and something Douglas, but they can get up to, I think the biggest goat was like 55 and a half inches shot in Australia. It, we actually have goats back home and like guys go out for, um, guys go out for big, big billies. Like, um, I, I don't see, I like, the first time, first experience I shot goats was under like uh, management. Like there was like eighty of them on the hill, and the farmer <laughs> wanted to. Like literally, I shot like five within like twenty five seconds. Like, and they're just standing there looking at you. I'm, I'm like, just. We'll put you behind yeah, a doesn't... put you behind a bow on a on a thirty inch a thirty inch um billy and see <laughs> see oh, how you right, react then. Right. Right at the back of the right at the back of the shoulder, mate. Straight through the <laughs> straight through the engine room. No problem. We'll see Eighty if... meter. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they're they're a crazy animal to hunt in, especially when they're rutting. They they make some like I've been in gullies where you hear and, and you think someone's getting murdered because they're screaming and they're fighting and uh, they're they're one of my favourite animals to hunt because they're just a cool cool animal and there's no like. With deer, you're like, oh, you know, he's got good genetics, you know. But it's hard hard to tell with goats. You might get one goat that will only ever grow to, like, 25 inches spread, and then you'll get another goat that might be, you know, three, four years old, and it might have a 30-inch spread. 
So if you leave that one, it might get to, you know, like I said, 55, like 55 inches is just insane for a spread. On yeah. A, like you think of how, how big that is. It's just, just nuts. And then you throw in, you know, we got 20, I think it's 27 different species we can hunt here in Australia from rabbits to wild cattle to bentang to, you know, <laughs> it's. Those, uh, the scrubbles now I've, I've, I've went down several rabbit holes on YouTube of guys like, um, hunting scrubbles and that looks to me like one of the best things you can probably, probably do, to be honest. Just make sure you have a big caliber and make sure you put them, you put it in the right spot. Yeah, you know? <laughs> they tend to be the most dangerous game in in Australia. You know, Adam Greentree tells one story, and I've spoken about it on here before, of um, an old school bow hunter getting torn open and like his guts getting torn open on a scrub ball after he shot it and walked up on it with a with a bow, and then he's like sitting up in a tree and he's like, "Oh, what's warm on my leg?" and his guts is sitting on his leg. And he's like sitting up a tree waiting for the, the scrub ball to die, climbs down, walks back to camp, collapses as he almost gets to camp, dies like three times in the rescue helicopter on the way to the hospital and survives it. But, you know, there's, people get trampled by those fuckers all the time. Same with Buffalo as well. He didn't make that mistake twice, though, did he? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't think he no. got... But, uh, yeah. The, um, the, the water buffalo as well, like, of course... Um, yeah, they're on there. That's probably that's probably the number one that if I was given the opportunity to go and, and hunt would be one of those big lads up there. Like um it's just even just the remoteness of Northern Territory, whether it be in Arnhem Land or whatever, like, you know, it just sounds like a cool place to be. Well the uh, the top of Western Australia have them. The the very top of Western Australia, there's parts that have them. There's Parts that have scrub balls and in the very top parts of Western Australia, pigs, goats, you know, camels, donkeys, brumbies. Just may get set up then and just go <laughs> go for a drive. Yeah, yeah, your distances over here, mate, are crazy. Like just a little <laughs> like bit, eh? It's, it's, oh, stop! How how big's Ireland uh, like compared to compared oh, to man, Australia? I, like you could drive, you could drive. I'd say you'd fit Ireland in half of Tasmania. Okay. That's... <laughs> so it's tiny. That's insane. Like you could drive from the east coast, you could drive from the east coast, Dublin, to uh, let's say the furthest westerly point on mainland would be uh, Galway or Mayo. Yeah, Mayo uh, could take you maybe three or three and a half hours i'd say max that's nuts that's... you know what i mean like <laughs> and then i'm coming over here and like we went down to uh simon perth went down to like uh bustleton and bunbury there for a couple of days camping a, a couple of weeks ago and that was like three hours it was just like <laughs> do you know what i mean like yeah. i'd be i'd be at the opposite side of my country at home so here in so south could... south australia we've got to get to the western australia border i think it's 13 13, 14 hours from Adelaide to get to the yeah. Victorian borders, about five hours to get to, in, depending which which parts you go, you got like, there's parts where you can get there in like three and a half-ish hours. NT is about 10-ish, 
10ish hours like it's 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 crazy big that but you got the main highway between south australia and western australia when that's closed the truckies have to do a loop all the way up to the top of western australia into northern territory and then back down into south australia or other way up through northern territory and i think it's about a 40 48 hour um add-on maybe maybe yeah it, it's something ridiculous it it adds on like three, four days if that main stretch of highway is closed, whether it's due to accidents or whatever. Oh, Just for a detour. I, uh, <laughs> so uh, I'd cry 40 hours in the car. Fuck that. <laughs> uh, a str- like people don't get it. Like um, I had a couple guys from Denmark on the podcast that I met in New Zealand last year. And, you know, they're talking about, you know, they're traveling four hours and they're, you know, into Germany and Sweden and all of these places hunting. And it's just like Australia, you're not even out of one state (laughs) for the most part. You know, brilliant. I love it. I'm I'm Uh, going over to the, there's a place in Victoria called Mansfield and they've got a hunting expo on the 2nd of March and I'm driving over there. Um, That's a 10 hour drive just to get to, to there. And I'm going straight after work. It's a one-day thing, and then driving home the Sunday. So, <laughs> so you'll be you won't have a few beers then, I'd say. No, 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 no. It's it's pretty much yeah. Sleep, drive, repeat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But like, look, at the end of the day, like if I, if anybody wants to like go hunting, you you're gonna have to like sacrifice something and sure, like sacrifice time. Like you have to make time if you want to do all this stuff and you have to travel this distance. So it is what it is. And I'm willing, I'm willing to do that eventually anyway. So yeah, it's all good. No, you definitely, you definitely get there. Um, we'll jump ahead a few questions. We'll go straight to the, the silly one that we spoke around at the start. Zombie apocalypse weapon. What are you, what are you going there? Okay. Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, so of course, I got to get into the frame, the, the the mindset of these zombies. Are they attracted to noise? Yeah, Walking Dead noise, like slow All moving. Right, okay. so it'd have to be a bow of some sort then, right? And then I actually, I'd have a silenced 22 pistol. Yep. 100% 20 round mag yep. I'd have loads of them cheap cheap um, cheap ammunition cheap to run literally a small little puff out of it and that's it so yeah a silenced 22 pistol that's a that's a good one at least you can carry lots of ammunition and find lots of ammunition with with yeah. that one um Move, yep. Moving from that one, what would be the most important item you take out with you when you go out hunting? Uh, I have to say optics. Um, to me, optics, I started off, sure, when, everybody, when everybody starts off, like you buy as, as best as you can. Um, and I had like, cheap cheap shitty i think they were tasco uh binoculars and i had a good scope i had a schmidt and bender scopes but what i was doing and like this is when i was first starting off i was using the scope 
to check out where the deer were or see if they're scanning the fields or whatever. Number one, you don't really want to be doing that because you don't want to be pointing the rifle where you don't want to be shooting. So yeah, I learned that the hard way. Um, and two, like it just doesn't make sense. So this will actually go back. I can actually tie this story into the first ever deer that I shot. That was with Ben. So we had gone through a stage of like literally uh, no binoculars, no no decent binoculars. And then I bought a pair of Zeiss uh, Victory. Victory, I think they were 10 by 50s. Uh, they were high definition, a really good pair of binoculars. Like, And we were in a, with Ben's permission and there's big CK here. And I had a the first deer, life, deer rifle was a, a Blazer R8 in 308. Um, so it was a decent rifle. And <clears throat> I was just scanning the field and I seen these tiny little like tips of antlers on top of a hedge i was like ben there's a fucking seeker stag behind that he said where he said look 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 and we started to shake i started to shake straight away didn't even see the deer right so this deer uh made its way along the hedge and it came to a break in the the tree line we obviously seen it was a stag so he crossed that and we ran down into the field and literally like like we were in the grass, lying down in the grass where the cattle were. The cattle were up at the farm, so they weren't in the field with us. And we stayed there. And we stayed there till dark. But I could I could still see, like, the... I could still see, not even till dark, just before last light or whatever. And I could still... I could see the... I could see the deer through the binoculars, and I started to fucking shake. No, I mean, I mean, mate, I don't even know how he pulled off this shot, to be honest. But this deer came down a little gully where there was a little stream at the bottom of the gully, came up, and he smelt the electric fence. I don't know why he smelt the electric fence. Maybe, my thinking is, maybe they can smell electricity. You wouldn't know, like. Yeah. And then he went in underneath it, and he was looking at us, and mate, I was I was shaking. I was, I was literally shaking. And I managed, Ben was like, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. I was like, Ben, fuck off. <laughs> right? So I shot him. I shot him just underneath the chin. And I'm not even joking, mate. I was absolutely like over the moon, ecstatic, right? And uh, I only found this out a couple of years, uh, last year. He said, do you remember when you shot that, your first Seeker Stag? He said, yeah. So, well, the farmer knew he had shot him. He said, how did he know that we shot him? Because he could hurry, he could hear us screaming like little girls. <laughs> in oh, but uh, optics, yeah, that's, um, people just need to kind of like bite the bullet. Uh, you know, even take him out on finance or something like that or pay off, yep. pay off every week or pay off every month on him. <clears throat> just just buy I like German glass right I've used like Leopold's and whatever I've um, I just don't think that you can really compare that type of glass to the German glass having said that we did do a comparison of Ben has a pair of Cal's 
range finding binoculars I have like is. And he brought along the Vortex uh, Razor. Razor back or Diamondback? Yep. Yeah, Diamondback, I think they're the 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 lower end and then Razors are the higher end, I think. Yeah, I could think be the other way around. Razors, right? Mate, fucking no, very, very, very little difference. The only difference I found was the field of view was slightly narrow in the Vortex. Yeah. So they're something that Anybody who's wanting to get into that doesn't want to break the bank, I'd recommend them. Yeah, the, totally honest. The, the, uh, yeah, they're they're a very wet recommended um, pair of binoculars. Any any of them really, even then, you know, because their their budget stuffs a couple hundred bucks. Then their mid range yeah. stuffs like four four five hundred. Um, I'm yeah. running Mavens. Um, the, okay, I believe yeah. they're Japanese glass. They're re- reasonably. Um, reasonably good i've just got a small pair but you know i'm not i'm not hunting deer at you know four or five hundred meters i'm getting in you know under under 200 or under 100 or whatever so you don't really need them too too much pretty thick scrub is the areas that i'm hunting as well so it's good just to have them to break up but yeah the um the vortexes can be pretty good um shavoski everyone raves on about them but Man, they're pricey. <laughs> they are pricey. They are they are very pricey. Um, I look through like I everybody's eyes are different, and everybody like you know they they like a specific brand or whatever. I've I've had the I've had the uh, the Zeiss. They were crystal clear. I've looked through the Swarovskis. Can't really, can't really justify spending an extra six or seven hundred euro for that and then uh, my likers are just as good yeah that's know? it and uh e- even even second hand market like you've like the second hand market is great like you're not going to get a shit pair of Swarovskis you're not like and the best thing about Swarovski and indeed Leica is their after service um is their after service uh you know, after service care, customer care, like you can literally send them back and they will come back to you brand new. Yeah, that's that I think that's the difference, to be fair. That's insane. Yeah. There's a there's a few brands over here doing it. Um Zero Tech Optics. I'm not sure if you've heard of them, but they're an Australian brand. They're breaking the UK the UK market, the African market, New Zealand market, the Australian market. Um they're from what I've seen, they're they're amazing. The scopes are good. They're getting into the into the bino game. They're getting into the spotting scope game as well. Um, a lot of the the target guys are running their their binos and spotting scopes. So it's it's pretty cool to see them breaking the market. Um, you know, Australian brand, not Australian made, but that's that's you're not going to get Australian made stuff unless you're you're paying you know ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, that's just how the way the world runs at the moment, you know. Um, yeah, that's 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 what I would, I would definitely recommend for anybody starting off is just wait, wait that extra because you're going to be shooting for like twenty five, maybe hopefully fifty years. Yeah. What waiting an extra month or two to save up to get a really good set of optics or a scope or whatever that you're going to have for life, you know. Definitely makes sense, especially when you put it like that. That's for sure. 
What about the most yeah. sketchy, dangerous thing that's happened to you while you've been out hunting? Uh, sketchy, dangerous thing when I've been out hunting. Um, I suppose, to be honest, I su- it's again, it was a mistake that I had made when I was first starting off my first couple of years was uh, going up on a fallow buck that I thought was dead. I unloaded the rifle didn't even like think twice that this animal could have been, you know, still alive and went up on him just to put the, you know, to bleed him out or whatever. And uh, he fucking just jumped up up and like pushed me out of the way. And hopefully like, thankfully um, he, uh, he just collapsed there and sure I got the rifle and sure put another one in him. Like, but, uh, that's probably the most sketchiest thing that has happened to me. Um, don't really have like danger. Um, like we don't, re- we have no like like snakes or yeah. anything like that or anything like that over in Ireland. But um, yeah, it's something that uh, has sticked with me and um, always, always, always approach uh, an animal um, downwind Um uh, coming in from the the back back of him um, <clears throat> with the uh, rifle loaded and pointing at him like um, yeah poke even him with the barrel I'll poke him in the eye like look for that eye reaction if that eye reaction is there you know what to do like no chances taken yeah no that's way. it that's it there's you know you hear stories of hunters getting impaled every year you know not in Australia. Um, you know, occasionally you might hear one on like a deer farm or something, someone gets impaled by an antler. But, you know, it does it does happen, especially in the States. And I'm not sure what it's like in the UK, but you hear stories from New Zealand as well. You see, red deer, like red deer are... Red deer are, in, in Ireland and the UK, they're the only deer that will look at you as if you are a threat to their harem of hinds. So if they look at you, like they're, they see you as the enemy, like a good friend of mine, Larry, he was telling me a story about his permission. Uh, one of his, his, his actual, his hunting buddy, <clears throat> Martin was in a high seat where they have permission, uh, on reds. And, uh, they were telling, Martin was telling me that, he heard, he got down. It was, it was like, you were, we're not allowed to shoot an hour past uh, sunset. So it's an hour before and an hour after. That's the time that we can shoot. So this was like past that. And uh, Martin got down off the high seat and he heard something behind him and he didn't know exactly what it was. He started to walk up along the, the hedge and he, you know, that grunt that the Reds make. He heard that more than like once. He was like, fuck. This guy means business. Like, (laughs) So he made his way up the hedge all the way up to the farm. And that red deer was at the opposite side of that hedge all the way along. You know, like the... I think that's important for people to note 
is that I don't know about your sandbar. I don't know about your uh, shit dial. I, I don't know about, but I definitely would know that red deer will look at you, especially in the rut, and they'll look at you as if you're a, you know, you're a threat. So, you know, it's a good thing to take note of. I I can the whole time you're talking about that, all I was picturing is there's this this video of this guy running around a um little fenced off tree, and on the other side of the fence of this tree is just this red stag chasing him around the tree the whole time, and he's like got his arms out, and he's like just trying to dodge this <laughs> this red that's just chasing yeah. him around the the tree the whole time. Just that's the. I think that was that wasn't a hunter. That was somebody from the public walk yeah. and got too close to them. Fucking idiots! Like, lose <laughs> my language. But um, yeah, it's just yeah, people don't understand. Like every year, like as I was saying before, in Killarney National Park, the red deer are protected there. Can't shoot them. <clears throat> but every year, you have photographers and general public coming in close to these massive. Like these are massive stags. The huge massive and if people getting in close to him and trying to get like pictures taken with him and we're just like you are a f- you're an idiot you know <laughs> like they're a wild animal at the end of the day like and because they're so accustomed with to people yeah with people yeah they don't they they don't have that fear of people so they'll be more inclined to turn on you it's like they're just like nah you're Idiots of uh, Yellowstone, how you get all those those people getting bowled over by a bison and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's... Approaches. <laughs> something that's as big as a buck, like I <laughs> oh, don't know. Yeah, you you fuck with the horns, you're gonna find out at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, like common common sense is not that common anymore. It definitely isn't. Speaking of uh, you know North American animals, all of that. What would be your top five dream animals if money wasn't an issue? All of that. Where what? Where would you go? What would you hunt? I definitely go for uh, brown bear and Kodiak Island. Hundred percent. Yeah. Go for uh, moose in Alaska as well. I would go for a dal sheep in Alaska as well. Um, that's three. Uh, yeah, and probably a tar and a chamois in New Zealand. Good choice. I, I yeah, I'd say that's um, that's that's proper proper hunting at the end of the day. Like, like you are literally on your own. Yeah, I was you know? uh ch- chasing tar last year. It's a uh, it's a. Uh insane insane environment uh, and just the I, there's just two of the, two of the guys i know back home and i think they're going uh they're going over to new zealand now i think it's six or eight weeks so it'll be interesting to see how they get on i really want to like plan <clears throat> a trip over there south island maybe the southern alps uh chasing tar and chamois and just just go for like a couple of days on my own or whatever like it's Just it's cool. Are those guys going um, guided or unguided? Uh, I think they're going unguided. Beautiful. That's it's it's yeah. something that people can do. Everyone, you know, looks at the cost of guides, especially because they're targeted at you know rich Europeans and rich Americans, and it's just thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But you know. If you don't want to shoot like absolute trophy, you just want to get onto an animal. 
you can go yeah. pretty much unguided. And then the other thing that people don't think about is social media. Make contacts, trade hunts. That's yeah. that's what I that's how I got onto my tar last year with um Jurgen is just, you know, chatting through social media. One friend hooked me up with him and I got chatting to him and said, Look, this is about the time I want to be going down. And he goes, Oh, that's awesome. I've got a couple of American mates here as well at that time. I'll pick you up and went from there and I managed oh. to shoot a, a I think it was like a ten point nine inch bull tar and a, a tar oh, U. So brilliant. it was Absolutely Brilliant. cool. And then a few years before that, I was chasing Seeker on the North Island, which was, I didn't shoot one. Oh, yeah. I refused to shoot one with a rifle. Um, missed three with a bow. Um, I regret not shooting that stag with a rifle. Every day it hurts, but <laughs> it was a cool experience, <laughs> man. Like hearing those animals just, just hee-haw. And- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're, uh, I think they're the Manchurian uh, strain of Seeker, I'm pretty sure. So they're, they're a bit, bit, bit bigger than the uh, Irish Seeker. Yeah. And the- oh, they are, without a shadow of a doubt. And they're way bigger. Um, yeah. Yeah, not like New Zealand is, yeah, that, I, I, I'd be hitting that place up. And uh, to be honest, to be honest, if I'm, if I even see a glimpse of a deer, I, I, I'd be shooting him in the base of the neck, to be honest. <laughs> I won't be giving him a second. <laughs> oh, it was, it was cool. At, at one point, we were um, at this creep, creek bottom when I went last year and we were glassing onto private property, just seeing what was around, sitting around the fire. We glassed eight bull tar feeding next to about 20 red hinds and then there was fallow does feeding, you know, within a hundred meters of them. So just in this one spot, you got bull tar reds. And then we, when we came back out and we're actually leaving, I've glassed up into the same area. I've seen about 30 red hinds and a couple of stags and watched this absolutely monster stag just chasing hinds around. And then us driving through the creek bottom spooked him and just watching him herd up all the hinds and herd them up over the hill. I'm just like, Oh man, why are you on private? <laughs> but it was, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's, that's uh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's a cool place. If you make contacts, you can just drive up to these public lands, get your, your department of conservation permit, which is free and just chuck on your hunting gear, your backpacks and go hunt. You walk to a hut, you, they've got thousands of these huts that you can just go stay at for free. There's some that you have to book, but majority of them. And then you've got hikers coming through. So like we, we, we I've told this story a few times now, but it was a cool experience for me, I, I reckon. Because the, the guy from New Zealand, he was South, Ameri- uh, South African born, but a Kiwi. We were hunting with two Americans, myself and Australian. Then we were sharing this hut with a, um, uh, where were they from? Um, two different, two separate places in Europe anyway. But it was just strange, you know, uh, a bunch of different nationalities sharing a hut, all different backgrounds. You know, these guys were hikers. They weren't like one was a school teacher. She had no hunting experience. This other guy, he was from the Netherlands. So he had no hunting experience either, but we were sharing, you know, we had some wallaby we shot. We had the tar meat from the, from one of the tar I shot and we're sharing that meat with them while they were hiking through and explaining to them about what hunting's like in New Zealand, America, Australia. And so they, they left that hut with the wealth of knowledge and just a different experience and, 
look on hunters compared to what they had beforehand. <laughs> Unreal. Like at New Zealand, New Zealand, like I think the world should look at New Zealand and how they how they manage their hunting and how they look after their their land for hunting and like it's it's absolutely incredible. Like and the place is pristine. Oh, it's, you know? it, it's so beautiful, man. Like nothing, nothing compares to it. Like Australia is different. Like it's a different type of rugged, but you get over there and it's just insane. But you, you look at everything and you're like, oh, it looks all like, you know, the plants look all soft and fluffy. Everything's got fucking spikes on it, man. Like I was pulling <laughs> like spikes out of my legs for weeks when I got back. It's nasty, <laughs> rugged country. It's just insane. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it now. Really, am um, definitely definitely do it. Try and organise it. F- find find someone over there to go go out with. That's for sure. What yeah, would be your favourite thing to cook with hunted or caught caught food? Hunted or cooked food. I do love uh, diving for scallops. Um, I so back home I had a Navara Nissan Navara Ute with a a rooftop tent on it, and like my holiday was always like a book a couple of days off, and I just travel down the country. Beautiful. Uh, like literally park up anywhere, ask like the the neighbors for like you know could I just park there and just camp there for the night or whatever funny story was this place that i have down in glen gareth it's down in west cork so i was down there and i was literally like after driving three hours to get there and i was on this lookout and i just looked down could see the sea and see this kind of secluded bay so i said that'd be an ideal place now to like go spearfishing because sheltered from most of the currents or whatever so that was grand. Drove down this like gnarly fucking country lane. Like these little small lanes, like people don't understand how small these are. You can only <laughs> literally fit one car in this with, and there's grass growing in the center of it. Like there's moss growing in the center of the road. And I uh, was driving down here and then I came across this uh, woman. She was in her uh, late 50s. She had around 15 dogs, right? <laughs> And these dogs were going mental. They were barking at me. They were growling. I was like, holy shit. I said, I'm not, I'm not like literally, I'm scared. And I'm like, that's a lot of dogs, like, right? So I drove down, drove back, and I was like, and I like I was tired now at this stage because I had been gone for a few hours and I, I wanted to just like camp up, set up camp and just make myself something to eat, have a beer or whatever, and go to sleep. So I drove down anyway, and I was back to where it was. And there was just one single little space on the side of the road that was on a small little cliff. And I seen the lady, the woman that had like was walking the dogs, and she was coming down towards me. And I said, uh, sorry, excuse me. I said, do you own that, that house? She was walking down the, 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 the road towards me. I said, do you own the house? She said, she does. And I just asked her politely, politely, I said, would you mind if I camped up here tonight of a rooftop tent? And she said, no problem at all. So I was like, delighted. So um, camped up. Next morning, I, I, I woke 
woke up early and uh, I started like uh, just diving and uh, I managed to catch a few, uh, collect a few scallops. <clears throat> like they were over, I think the limit is like 110 uh, millimeters. That's the limit. So I caught like four or five of them and cooked them up. But like you cannot be like literally the the, the most freshest shellfish and just cooking them up there and then. And it also helps when you're absolutely starving <laughs> after spending a few hours in the cold um, Atlantic Ocean um, looking for these scallops. But um, yeah, it's it's mad because every every time every time I go down to that place now. Mary is her name and Tim is her husband. <laughs> and like the last time I was down there was in the summer. It was not last year. It was the year before. And uh, I I had went into the shop and sure I had like a, a, a crate of beer in the back of the ute like. And I said, Mary, do you want a drink? She's like, fuck it, yeah, sure, she might as well. So the two of us sat down <laughs> on the rock um, at the where, like where I was like uh, spearfishing, like drinking, drinking beers. That's it's awesome. It's crazy, man. That's so yeah, good. it's good. And what? So that's the shellfish. And then, like, sure, it'd have to be Sika. Sika is... Um, Beautiful. Oh, Sika. There's no comparison. Sika is my nicest, is the nicest venison that I have tasted. It's absolutely, it, it's incredible. And it's how, incredible. Has to, sorry, go on. How do you cook it up? What's your, what's your go-to way of cooking it up? Ah, look, it, it's uh, just simple uh, salt and pepper, maybe a small bit of garlic, small bit of thyme. You don't really want, you want to taste the meat. You don't want to be tasting garlic and medium rare. Let it sit, let it rest. That's it. Beautiful. Just unadulterated, just beautifulness. Oh, yeah. My mate shot a seeker while we are out there and, um, you know, it was a, a yearling fawn, so I was just the most oh, yeah. tender, beautiful meat that that I had. Yeah, you know, um, being it's being out bush, you know, we had we'd used all the olive oil up pretty much, um, like all the cooking oil up, and um, pretty much only had some bacon fat left. So cooked up the oh, seek, seeker up in some in some beautiful bacon fat. But yeah, it's, it's definitely some of the nicest I've. Hog deer is nice, but in a different way. It's very, um, mm-hmm. like, very subtle flavor. Very, like, not game. Well, quite. I hate using that word, but it's the only way really to describe when it comes to venison. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no gaminess to it at all. It's a very um, light meat. You cook it up, and it goes almost white rather than that. Oh, yeah, that that dark brownie color that you know standard standard venison cut goes to. So it's yeah, it's pretty crazy. How do you find dive? Have have you done much diving over here in Australia? How do you like the warm no, the warmer water? Like I actually put up a post on one of the, one of the uh, Facebook groups that I was on. I was I was like because I've I brought my I brought my um, my wetsuit with me, so I have a five mil top and seven mil bottoms. And I said to myself, this is going to be like really 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 warm <laughs> and um i like i have i look i'm i'm still finding my feet i still have to get a i want to get a three mil wetsuit and i want to get a, a, a spear gun as well so i want to get a fairly decent spear gun so i haven't i've actually got into contact with a couple of guys 
that do it and they said they'll bring me out and I'm absolutely so appreciative of that like you wouldn't believe and uh, there's a, a group that uh, does the um, the uh, Brett Hold lessons in one of the um, one of the uh, swimming pools they book out like two two lanes every Tuesday and you can go in there and they'll like teach you what to do and all stuff like that so I haven't got into the water yet the only time I was in the water uh, was like either swimming or bodyboarding or surfing while trying to surf <laughs> like i cannot i cannot surf mate no way um not yet anyway uh, and i was just uh scoping out a um uh, an area that the uh for the abalone's there and yeah but even at that like i'm still just so so nervous of a big tiger just coming in and just just taking me out and i'm like <laughs> mate uh, you have to well, like, um look, check out the yeah, last guest I, the last guest I had on um Luke Potts from Aquatic Rehab he's a uh, New Zealand spear spiro um hunter as well but he um he's up in the top of the North Island and does shitload of spear fishing and just the encounters he has with sharks is just freaking mental like he's like poking poking these sharks with his spear gun like every time he goes out you know he's seeing multiple sharks he's getting fish stolen by sharks it's it's absolutely nuts like i was looking at uh you know joe wilds j.e wilds j.e wilds yep yep uh, yep i know joe yeah yeah so i was looking at uh his uh youtube channel there uh and he was like fishing fishing for these kingfish or whatever you call them like he was saying that like he has to swim across this gut- gutter or whatever he called it, like, and he said he's seen big great whites there. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm looking at him like swimming across the water. I'm like, that's the single most terrifying thing anyone <laughs> could do, in my opinion. Like it's just but look, ye all grew up with it. I didn't, so I have to still try and find <laughs> my feet. You know? Have you the jaw if he's listening to this? <laughs> Uh, classic. Have you uh, seen any snakes since you've been over here? Any wild I haven't. I was actually, I was hiking. I, I heard one. I was actually hiking. Uh, I wouldn't even call it a hike because there's no mountains here. <laughs> I was going for a walk. I was going for a walk uh, one evening or one morning and I was just walking up this little track. It was at a place called... Uh, a very, very reserve falls. And I was just walking up this track and I heard a hiss. Like it was, it was fucking close. And I just said to myself, right, that's it. I just keep walking. Just keep walking. <laughs> I like, I have, I have this thing, right? I don't, I was actually, yeah, it sounds a bit weird, but I'll, I'll tell it anyway. It's probably going to be a bit entertaining anyway. So I was at a place, I do uh, some, I, I like photography. I, I take landscape photography and some some astro photography as well. And I was at a place called Mundaring Weir. Now, the story about this is, right, is that I didn't realize that this place closes at 5 p.m. every day. <laughs> so I parked up and I left the car there and I walked, I went down to this um just kind of like a peninsula that went out into the into the reservoir so what i wanted to try and do was if you're facing kind of the dam wall i wanted to try and capture the milky way going down through the middle of it 
Anyway, there was z- loads of clouds. There was no Milky Way visible that night, right? And I seen this guy. He was shining the light in my direction. He obviously couldn't see me, so I just be, I just wanted to be quiet. I didn't even know who was there, what was there. I didn't realize at the time he was the ranger <laughs> looking for people, right, and locking up everything. So I was like, okay, cool. But I had to walk back through this thick brush, and I was walking through these. I'd say they were the golden orb spider webs because it was like walking <laughs> through deal, right? And it was hitting me in the face. They were hitting me in the face. And I was just, I was talking to the snakes. I was like, I know people say, right, he's a bit he's a bit cracked, but I am Irish at the end of the day, so I'm half cracked as it is anyway. <laughs> but um, I was talking to the snakes. I was just saying, all right, Mr. Snake. I was like, just don't bite me. I'm just going to walk through here. I don't want any, like, you know, <laughs> I don't want any bites or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I went to drive out of place and the place was locked. <laughs> so I had to wait three hours for somebody to come out from Part C to open up the lock. And then I was thinking, right, now, I don't know if I should even be saying this, but I'll say it anyway. So here's me. I was thinking when this guy was opening up the lock, is he going to ask for a release fee? You know, I was thinking this is it could be like fifteen hundred bucks or whatever. Mate, I hadn't a fucking pot to piss in at the time, right? I had zero money, right? So I just said, wound down the window, and I said, "Mate, thanks a million. I appreciate your time." And I drove off. <laughs> uh, oh. That's hilarious. Yeah, the yeah, the golden no, orbs no. orb spider webs. They're um they're pretty tough to walk through, aren't they? <laughs> Oh, and I was thinking that one of these is going to go down my back and, you know, all that type of stuff, right? Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's just good. It's good crack, like. It's good crack. Uh, That's hilarious. So how do you see the public views on hunting and hunters over in Ireland? What's what's the culture like over there? It's becoming more and more, uh, inverted commas, woke. Uh, There seems to be a lot of emotion involved in deer and deer management and indeed like uh country sports <clears throat> people don't really understand the importance what it means to each and every one of us as a hunter or a spiro how important it is to us and, and indeed such a big part of our lives hunting and spear fishing is they just see an anaphomorphized animal that they've seen on Disney or any cartoon and they just automatically assume that these people are shooting Bambi or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And they allow their emotions to uh, to uh, dictate their decision making. And indeed, p- politics back home, uh, politicians allow that uh, emotion to, to control their decision making. We also have a thing called hair coursing. And now, so that has gone on for hundreds of years. I don't even know if you know about it, but it's basically you, we we breed greyhounds. I've never been involved in it. It's just a country sport that I grew grew up around. My friends down the road they used to uh, breed greyhounds for this for greyhound racing and whatever and coursing. <clears throat> so what we do is we catch these hares. Hairs are very looked after. They're uh, they're all like given like 
shots like vaccines and whatever and looked after and basically two greyhounds will run after this hare and whoever turns the hare whichever dog turns the hare wins so they want to get rid of that they don't think it's fair they don't think they think it's cruel they think that the greyhound is going to kill the hare when in actual fact it's not it's very much looked after once that hare hits the uh, there's kind of like these barriers that only the hare can get under yeah it's it's a it's it's a stopped uh the, the hare is safe also what we have is the uh fox hunting now that's a, another emotive subject as well this has happened for hundreds of years as well people on top of their horses they go out with hounds and they they try and look for a fox and if they get the fox you know the hounds will obviously do what hounds are bred to do and that's to kill but any person any person who has who's who has done uh uh hunting like they'll tell you themselves they might get three foxes a year may i can't tell you how many foxes i've shot with my 220 swift it's hundreds if not thousands I've just mowed them out and I don't really want to shoot foxes anymore, to be honest, because I've I've done my fair share of it. So someone like me, or indeed anybody else, has shot more foxes than the hunts in Ireland combined, I would say. You know, so it's a uh, people are, are allowing their emotions to uh, dictate their decision making. Indeed, there's some politics politicians that I personally personally like because they uh they stand up for the common people. We want to get more houses built for people back home. And indeed, it's probably over here as well. But their opinion on fox hunting and indeed coursing, they want it all like stopped. And then that's kind of like changing my opinion towards them. Like, so it's... Uh, it's the same here, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a very emotive subject. And if people... And one thing I would... One thing I have started doing is is that if a person is on the edge right and they're willing to open their two ears and listen to you because we have two ears and we have one mouth and that's the ratio that says it all um if they're willing to listen to you and not interrupt you when you're talking like facts or when you're talking about your own experiences hunting deer or hunting foxes or whatever you're hunting or whatever you're spearfishing if they're willing to listen to you and they're, they come to the conclusion that, oh, I didn't know about this, but now I do. <clears throat> and I see where you're coming from. That's ideal. That's grand. That's perfect. Love that. Because you've, you've actually educated someone who's willing to listen. But it's the people who don't want to listen to you. It's the people that have their, that have their opinion set in stone if, and and you're and and you get into a conversation with them. I will walk away from that because yeah. why should I waste my energy trying to talk to somebody who has their opinion already made up? I'm just like me or whoever it is. Just I'm not talking to you, and I'll walk away. Yeah, that's, it, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, I've turned a lot of people not into hunting, but you know that I've changed their their opinion on hunting, whether it's talking hunting here in Australia, hunting in Africa, and that's always 
always mm. a big one. Mm. Like I'll talk about hunting here and then they'll be like, oh, but you wouldn't hunt such and such in Africa. And my response nearly every time is, yes, if I could afford to, yes, I would. And then break down, break down yeah. exactly, exactly what happens over there from my best, my best understanding. But, you know, it's just those absolute mental cases that you have. Like in, in WA, there's, there's a, there's a group over there. I can't remember the group's name, but there's this one chick, I think it's Tash Peterson and she is an absolute oh, fucking what? whack exactly. job. Ah, uh, like this is the one that paints herself yeah. as a cow and goes around. Goes into restaurants like, and just like, like, just fuck off. <laughs> like seriously, like, like she's a she's mentally ill. Yeah. Let's yeah. just put it that way. We've got, there's there's a few of them here in Australia, and unfortunately, they're the people that are showing the cute animals, like anim, like making them out to be you know Disney characters and saying you know I've saved this animal from being eaten. We shouldn't eat this. We need to change this. You know, um, we you know greyhound racing here in Australia is um, they're trying to ban greyhound racing just standard racing um because it's cruel they tried, to the animals they tried, they tried to, yeah they tried to do that as well um back home as well because yeah cruelty to animals as well yeah. and just like it's it's not it, yeah it's far from it like these dogs are looked after like, <laughs> yeah and it's the same with horses so, you know they try and ban horse hunt, yeah. uh, horse horse racing here um then you've got you know, our version of the fox hunt that's constantly under scrutiny would be duck hunting. Duck hunting here okay. every year is just, you know, you get these crazy vegan protesters. They they steal ducks from hunters, chuck them in a freezer. Every year they'll take them to the Parliament House in, in Victoria, lay all these half-frozen ducks out on in front of Parliament House, you know, tip empty shotgun shells out everywhere show footage of people shooting ducks and people you know like you know how some people bite the heads to finish them off and stuff like that show all of those those types of um images um you know say this is what hunters are we need to ban this then while people are out hunting the wetlands they've got these anti-hunters that go out there with you know things that make noise they go out there try and scare the ducks away while people are shooting you know they actually go get their duck hunting permits so that they can be out in the wetlands and not be not be um like harassed by cops and stuff they you know do stuff to cars but yeah that's our version of uh the fox hunting and the foxes with the hounds which absolutely it's crazy but we've we've had a win here in south australia and victoria the last couple of weeks they've um brought the season on um there was fears that victoria they were going to shut it down and not have any duck hunting this year at all so that's a win on our our behalf it's it's something that we need need to keep fighting for though but how would you personally change the public views on hunting and hunters? Uh, how how would I do that? Um, I would probably introduce uh, hunting um, at an early age in schools, yep. to be honest. Um, because there's no point in educating the older generations now because, as we were saying before, they have their own mind made up. Um, definitely, um, near, uh, every school 
school needs to be educated on where our food comes from. 100%. Food is under such scrutiny at, at the end of the day. Like, like all these chemicals that are being thrown into, regardless of what is it, if it's a vegetable or if it's a cereal, if it's a grain or whatever, um, all these chemicals are, they're not good for us. Um, you cannot get anything more healthier for you than wild harvested meat, regardless of what animal it's from. That's it. Because it is it is a superfood at the end of the day. And to not hunt is probably a relatively new thing. Like when has all this woke shit started coming in? Like probably back in the 90s or the noughties and all this stuff. I mean, that's a different subject. But <laughs> definitely... Definitely, I would uh, I would introduce hunting, and I would introduce definitely where our food comes from into schools at a very early age, so children know exactly where their food comes from, um, instead of all this shop bought stuff and cellophane wrapped hygiene stuff. Even I was thinking about that there today. Is, like there are vegetables. You walk into a, a, any supermarket and like all our vegetables are like, they're perfect. But like vegetables don't come up perfect. Do you know what I mean? Like they're That's all it. odd shapes and whatever. And like back, back home, there's protests going on in Germany and in France. I think Ireland have got on board with it. So they made this, uh, they increased uh, fuel taxes and the Germans just like lost it. Yeah, I've seen. And it's it's pretty simple. If there's no farmers, there's going to be no food. But it's it's all I think it's all starting to change. And I think it's I think it's going to be a win for hunters and spearfishers and anybody who harvests off the land. I think it's going to be a win for us because soon people will realize that this is this is how we this is how we live this is how we eat yeah we you know? we've seen a massive uptick with that over covid the hunter like people wanting to get yeah. into hunters because you know supermarkets were having trouble getting food in and shops were closed and this that so people were looking at hunting what was was that like in ireland was that very similar just people starting to look into hunting more due to restrictions or we couldn't do we couldn't do we literally couldn't do nothing Yep. We couldn't even hunt. We couldn't even hunt for a year and a half. Definitely two. Uh, it was definitely a year, a year and a half, or maybe even two years. So that was, uh, that was two seasons that we couldn't. You can imagine the amount of excess animals that have like literally not been harvested because of that, or not being culled. Um, I know I'd be safe. I you'd be safe. I know every hunter would be totally safe out there. And to be honest, let's say hypothetically speaking, you're going on about a zombie apocalypse, yeah? Could you imagine if that did happen? A hundred percent. Who's gonna who's gonna be providing food? Is it going to be <laughs> you or is it going to be that whatever her name is, whatever her whatever <laughs> he's not gonna be doing it like he's gonna be the zombie that you're gonna be taking out with your twenty two pistol like do you know? <laughs> Yeah, man, uh, it, it's it's a crazy, crazy world, and just to show you how detached people are from their food, um, especially when it comes to those those vegan animal not rights nutcases who think you know, um, you know, hunting 
is so, so bad, yet, you know, we're out there on the farms that all of their food's produced on, controlling deer numbers, controlling pig numbers, controlling, you know, whatever animal numbers so that they can um so that they can eat their soybean <laughs> and drink their, oh, their soy frappuccinos and shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be, uh, yeah, like that's what I would do. I definitely um definitely introduce it at an early age into into schools no, that's and a, yeah. Like that's I think New Zealand do that. New Zealand do that, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no. I think so. some rural schools do that. You know, even here, like we have agricultural schools. Um, they they you know show show you how to farm chickens, farm goats, cattle. You know, all of that stuff. Grow vegetables. You know, the high school I went to, we showed cattle, we showed goats, we you know made a made our own wine, all of that type of stuff. But you know, once you <laughs> once you finish showing showing the animals, where do they go? They go to the slaughterhouse. Like, you know, yeah. so kids got an understanding of where their food their food come from and stuff like that, which was good. But, uh, yeah, definitely something that needs to happen in more of the, um, the city-ish schools, that's for sure. And I think uh, hunters need to, like, um, be more vocal as well. Uh, just, I think there's... You can't really just sit down and take it all the time. Like, really need to start kind of speaking up for what is morally right. And like, like we love we love the animals that we hunt. We probably spend the same amount of time uh, observing the animals. Especially if you're a bow hunter, you you probably spend more time observing the animal than actually than actually shooting them. Like. So in a, that sense, um, definitely need to, um, definitely need to speak up and, and, and have, or try at least get someone in a high political position to stand up for us. I don't know if you have, uh, anyone over here. Yeah. We, that kind of- we have a party called the shooters, fishers, farmers party. Um, so the, the head of that Robert Borsak in New South Wales, he would probably be that, um, that guy. I know Western Australia doesn't have one at this, like the party at the moment because they changed how they get their parties in there. So I know that they're working on getting another, another shooters, fishers, farmers candidate over there. Um, same with South Australia, they're they're working on something, so I'm I'm keen to sit down with them soon and you know try and wrap my head around politics and that side of things, which will will do my head in because I can't stand it. But um, I think it's a discussion that needs to be had. You know, like in the shooting scene in Australia, the hunting scene, it was something that was done and not talked about, and I kind of think that's why we're in the position we're in because like the older school mentality was not to talk about hunting because they didn't want it taken away, and now that nobody mm. talked about it, it's getting taken away. So we're mm. we're coming back out at at the food aspect of things, and you know the the eradication, the pest control, the helping farmers out, all of that type of stuff is the the angles that we're playing on to to try and keep hunting legal in in Australia. Yeah, it's um, 
Yeah, I, I know. I know how we feel about the political aspect of things. You can't really wrap your head around it, like. But one thing is for sure is that if there was the same amount of money in hunting as there is in mining, you can be guaranteed that there wouldn't be that much uproar about hunting. It's That's it. all about money. I'm pretty sure at the end of the day, like you know. So um, hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully it'll just it'll you know it will all work out right like because at the end of the day it's we're just we're just doing what humans have done for the past two hundred three hundred four hundred whatever hundreds of thousands of years yeah that's we're it just continue it on I know New South Wales did a study recently and released some some numbers but like hunting fishing was the highest economic thing in new south wales like to bring money into to areas um i can't remember the exact quotes but it it's pretty cool to hear and see that like uh guys bringing in like clients overseas clients hunting and all stuff no like just that, just recreational hunters from? going out um oh, yeah. you know spending money in 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 local towns and stuff like that the I can't remember the exact study, but it was something along those lines that you know hunters are bringing in in the money into these rural towns. It's cool. It's cool when you look at the states. Like ten percent of anything that's involved in hunting, whether it be your box of bullets or your rifle or your scope, ten percent goes to the maintenance of national parks and whatever. Robertson Act. I, yeah, that's it. Uh, I think that would be a great thing to happen. Like. I wouldn't say no if five percent or whatever of that revenue went, even if it was to even if a box of bullets was increased by two dollars or three dollars. If you knew that that was going to the the preservation of hunting, you'd be you'd be paying it. Yeah, that's it. Take the government tax off, and then whatever the government tax is, use that for the the wildlife and the. Yeah all of that type of stuff. But our thing is that, you know, locking everything up with national parks. As soon as they turn something into a national park, that's, that's it done for us. We can't, we can't play it in anymore, whether it's, you know. Yeah. Um, we were discussing this before about the uh, national parks. Probably the most ridiculous thing to do is not to be able to hunt in a national park. Yep. If the politicians are given out about, or, venting their uh, emotions about like invasive species will then allow hunters to go into a national park, pay a fee, a day fee, or buy a tag to go in and to be able to harvest an animal and be able to camp there and whatnot. It just makes viable sense. It does. It, It really does like. Like, I know back home, Wicklow National Park, it's the biggest national park that we have. Yeah, it is the biggest national park that we have. But it also is the biggest sanctuary for the Sika population in the country. That's the vast majority. I've often looked out on the side of a hill and I've seen two, three, four hundred deer. Do you know? Um, That's insane. I would love to be able... Yeah, I would love to be able to hunt there. I would pay... I'd pay... I'd pay to be able to go hunt that, to be honest, and pick my animal, like, you know, be able to walk how many thousands of hectares it is and be able to hunt there. I'd pay that. Yeah, Uh, as we all would here. As we all would here with, you know, areas that we have locked up here. But, yeah, what is hunting to you at the end of the day? 
way of life, hands down. There's no other question about it. It's something that I was brought up with. It's something that I've had a passion about since I was since I started at six, and it's it has brought me immense joy. Um, even even seeing like some of the happiest experiences that I've ever had in my life have been with Ben um, shooting deer. Uh, I shot my first deer. Ben was beside me. Ben shot his first deer. I was beside him. Uh, I've met a lot of good people along the way, and I've also met a lot of shit people along the way as well. That's just how it goes. 100%. Um, um, it it is uh, it's just something that I will. I've I've no kids at the moment, but I hope to have one day have my own family, and one hundred percent they will be taught how to hunt, how to fish, how to yep. process skin all of this there's so many different aspects about it that simply cannot explain or you can't even put into like or express your emotions about it um it's just it is a way of life and that's it and i'll never change it a hundred percent and i totally agree with you i've got two boys you know i've got a nine-year-old stepson and a almost four-year-old son and both of them come mm-hmm. out hunting with me you know the the youngest yeah. he was less than a week old and i was butchering a deer on the on the kitchen table yeah. with him strapped to my chest yeah. in one of those chest rigs yeah. um you know yeah. his his first solid meat that he ever ate when he started getting teeth through was venison you know it's just yeah. it's just, like we went to um the museum here in Adelaide a few weeks ago and it was just him and I and we're walking through the taxidermied animal area and he's like dad you can hunt that one and I'll hunt this one and you can hunt that one and I'll hunt this one and we can both hunt yeah, one of these yeah. and I'm, I'm laughing so hard and um he- oh, like Ben Ben's uh Ben's little uh, lad Billy it, uh, Ben has two little lads now but um or Tommy, Tommy and Billy's. Tommy's the oldest lad. But he is absolutely crazy about hunting. Yeah. Like he'll tell you a story. He like he'll tell Ben a story <laughs> about me going hunting with him and I shooting a stag. But it hasn't happened. <laughs> you know? That's great. It hasn't happened. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. He um he uh they, he actually sent me a picture there uh, not so long ago. Ben, him, him, Tommy, and Lisa's partner there. They had shot a deer somewhere, and I was just like, "That is, that is class. That is brilliant." That's you know awesome. what I mean. Yeah, like, no, it's it's that's it's a, that's the next generation. It's an epic feeling. Like I've I've taken yeah both the boys out hunting. the The youngest hasn't been on a proper deer hunt he's been out with me like scouting and checking trail cameras uh this rut this coming april he'll i'll, I'll go shoot my first deer with him uh, drag him along you know now that i don't have to carry him around in a in a backpack anymore and he can walk and somewhat yeah. be quiet so i'll take him out shoot a deer the oldest he's come out with me and i've shot three two or three deer with him so i've shot turkeys mm-hmm. foxes rabbits everything with them i've taken them out bow fishing um, the the oldest oh, was a ha- happy moment last year. He shot his first couple of fish with the bow, which was just great fun oh, to get brilliant. him to get him out there. And um, yeah, it's it's awesome. Like the youngest constantly talks about hunting. He's like, when I'm older, can you take me to New Zealand hunting? Can we go here hunting, Dad? Like you know, just the whole even the meat aspect. Like 
he stayed at my my um, auntie's house over uh, last night with my with my parents, and they were giving they were they sold like had to give away one of the birds that they had. And Ollie goes up to the new owners and he goes, "Oh, are you take him away to eat him? Are you going to cook him up and?" <laughs> eat him to yeah, these yeah. Dudes, like this pretty little yeah. parrot and mum's telling me the story and I've just like leaned over to him and high-fived him I'm like yep that's my boy knows where your food comes from <laughs> yeah 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 there's probably going to be probably no going to be no better feeling than um seeing your um sons shoot a deer oh I can't first deer, like. I can't wait like the the Oldest, I don't think he's going to want to, but he, you know, comes out and enjoys it here and there. But the youngest, he's, yeah. he's like, I can't wait till he's old enough to, to shoot a deer. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's yeah, yeah, it's no, four too young amazing. to put behind a 270 to, to shoot a fallow buck. No, 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 no. <laughs> if he can squeeze that trigger and that bullet can go where he wants it to go, I'd let him after it. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's yeah, the no. way I see it too, but I don't, don't think... Uh, uh, too many people would be too too happy. No, and I reckon a no. four a two seventy on a four year old would would hurt his shoulder a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unmoderated as well. Yeah, that's it. Well, anyway, man, like we've I've I've been trying to get you on for a, for a couple of weeks. Um, it's it's yeah. it's been awesome chat. Um, soon as you started. Um, posting up on the uh, Facebook groups, and I got a few tags in it, um, and we've been chatting since then. It's 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 been awesome to get you on and hear yeah. hear the the way of hunting in Ireland, and you know what you what you want to do over here, and hopefully we you know when you're a, a permanent resident, you can get your license and get onto it, and hopefully, well, even oh. before that, with a bow, you're going to be out there uh, chasing our uh, introduced species and. Tackling. I mean, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Uh, like, I know it's going to be a, a long journey when it comes to the, like the bow hunting, um, because I know just how difficult it is, and I know, like, I I can hunt, but I can't bow hunt. You know, <laughs> uh, so like getting close, I can get close to there, but maybe like, I don't know, thirty meters now is fairly. Um, it's it's fairly impressive to get fifty meters to a deer, let alone thirty <laughs> meters. Um, so yeah, look, I'm looking forward to the journey, to be honest. And yeah, just can't wait to get after it and go traveling and make new friends along the way and make memories. And like we're on this earth for a very small piece of time, and we need to just get out there and just get amongst it. That's it, you know. If you ever come down to South Australia, you're always welcome to come out for a shoot with me. Um, I'm, I'm, I hope you uh, document your process of hunting and getting into spearfishing and bow hunting and that on your podcast. Yeah, I will. Um, I actually, uh, so I have like I have a YouTube channel as well. So maybe um, guys want to look me up. It's uh, just Jody Crane, J O D Y C R E A N E. I have couple of videos on that of me and Ben uh I kind of just show just small bits of you know tips how to go for a growlick a deer and small pieces like that I do have a small bit of spear fishing on it from uh, back home uh actually in that place in Glengariff as well yes yeah, um but yeah like 100% start like I I do like the I do like 
kind of making like videos and documenting this, whether it be through photography or videography and, and whatnot, like I, I'm 100% going to um, record this because uh, my journey in hunting might have finished back home in Ireland, but as it has only just begun back here. It's it's going to be an eye opener for you. That's for sure. It's a it's a t- completely different ball game, <laughs> and with every wow. state so different as well. Like you know, yeah, you, you picked a fucking terrible state to 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 move to <laughs> for uh, for hunting and regulations and that. But um, I'm, I'm sure that won't let won't stop you in your in your journey. You know, there's a fair few good bow hunters that come out of Western Australia, and there's there is the game in small small areas from what I what I understand. So yeah, you just need to get the access and get behind that bow. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. And go spend a couple of thousand dollars on a what is it? A Hoist Phantom <laughs> is it? Or I don't know what. Don't get oh, a hoist, get a PSE. Name, <laughs> I'll do a campaign job on it. Uh, that's that's it. Um, bow hunt, bow hunters are very like precise with their brands. Like you get into it, and pretty much whatever mainline bow you get into, that's the brand you stick with. You don't do too much changing, changing brands. Well, to be honest with you, the price of them I won't be changing. I'll be buying. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll buy. I'll buy expensive once, and then that'll be it. Yeah, and that's it. That's it, mate. That's you, it. you say that, but you'll you'll get the the addiction once the new new model comes out in a year or two. You'll be like, oh, oh, that shoots three seconds faster than my current bow. I have to go buy that one. <laughs> mate, don't say that because the, if I if I if I tot it up, the amount of money that I'm after spending on rifles and scopes and knives and it it it's. <laughs> I'd probably have a, a down payment on a house now, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. I'd, I'd probably own a house if I didn't, if, if I didn't have <laughs> spend all this money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been great chatting to you. Um, again, what was your social medias where people can find you? Yeah. So, um, the YouTube is where the, most people will find, uh, my, um, uh, videos on the shooting that I've done back home. That's just uh, Jody Crane, J O D Y C R E A N E. And it's um, my Instagram is Jody underscore Crane, same spelling. And then if people even want to look at my um, my landscape photography, it's uh, 12 point, so 12 underscore point underscore photography. Awesome. 12 so, point photography. And then the podcast is a Deer Diary. A D, yeah. D-E-E-R. Yeah, Deer Diary podcast. And yeah. that, that's got, yeah. what, six or six or seven episodes you've done on that? Yeah, it has, it has six. Yeah, it has six. And there will be a few more added to that now while I'm over here. Just, uh, just get the guests and I suppose just making time to do it, like um, get guys on it from back home. Um, hopefully we can, hopefully I can bridge the gap between Irish hunters and Australian hunters and maybe bring them all together and maybe even somebody from New Zealand as well. Just, you know, like the whole, the whole idea of my podcast was to bring information that we didn't have when That's we it. started off. And hopefully, I've I'm starting to do that as well. Like, 
you know. Um, yeah, I was, so yeah, I was exactly the same with this podcast, starting it to you know help people wanting to get into it, people who are starting to get into it, people that have been in it for a while. You know, the names hunting connection, like um, bringing mm-hmm. connections and hook, like you know, mm-hmm. there's there's been several people that have gone out on their first hunts and you know they've gotten their gotten their firearms license and then gone on their first hunts through guests of the podcast that I've hooked up and, you know, friends and all of that type of stuff, you know, I've, I've made some great connections and then yeah, pass those connections on to other people, um, which is just what it's all about, you know, I'll, you know especially yeah, like exactly. bri- bridging the gap between Australian hunting and not Irish hunting and then, you know, mm. like I had the guys from Denmark on and guys from New Zealand and the States and, you know, all of these people can slowly connect together and, you know, I'll I'll trade you a hunt for an Irish seeker for, you know, an Australian fallow yeah. deer or, you know, all of that, yeah. that type of stuff. It's, it's what it's all about, making these connections and, you know, hopefully within the next couple of years you and I can get out on a hunt together and... Oh, 100%, mate, 100%, mate. Um... You fix me up with a forty-two-inch sandbar, and I'll fix you up with an Irish Yeah, I, I, forty-two-inch that would that would be bigger than anything shot in Australia, I reckon. But um, yeah, p- possibly get you onto a fallow deer. <laughs> oh, look, to be honest with you, it's all good. Like hunting is hunting at That's the end it. of the day. It's the memories you make, the friends you make. You know, like all of, pretty much all of my friends today are all made through social media and hunting like it's as i've met them through social media through hunting pages and they're guys that are you know that i'll be friends with till the day i die yeah exactly it exactly it oh anyway man thank you very much i've taken up enough of your time it's uh it's getting late here i know you're in western australia so it's probably only six o'clock now up there maybe seven Yeah, I don't even know what time it is, to be honest. We've been yeah. talking, how, I'd say we're talking two hours, are we? At least uh, anyway, an hour. Yeah, two, two and a half hours, been recording for wow, two hours. Fuck. Yeah, it goes quick, man. It goes so quick, especially when you're going down deep rabbit holes and having <laughs> good conversations. But I'll let you go. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming yeah. on, and um, we'll speak soon. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed our discussions and gained valuable insights into the world of hunting, fishing and the outdoors. To stay connected with us and never miss out on an update, please be sure to follow us on social media, all at Hunting Connection Podcast. We appreciate your support and would love for you to share the podcast with your friends and family. Don't forget to tag us in your hunting photos on social media and let us know about your experiences. Your feedback is invaluable to us, so please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Together, we continue growing and delivering more captivating episodes for all hunting enthusiasts. Stay connected, stay informed and keep pursuing your passion for the hunt. Until next time, happy hunting.